The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. Well, here we are. We are at the end of a series on the life of Paul, man of faith. (coughs) And this is week five. Um, Let me ask you, who's done all five? Who's been here? Oh, come on. There's no one. (laughs) I suppose it was August. I was going to say if anybody had, maybe we could ask for a a Nando's voucher. (laughs) Or maybe a Costa coffee, because I bet they're not so popular. (laughs) But no, it looks as though it's only me. (laughs) But there we go. Look, before I speak, and at the risk, if you were here last week, of incurring the wrath of Mark, we're going to watch that video for the first time, which I think is cracking. Do you agree with me? This is amazing. This is great. This is done by the guys, and the music that goes with this scripture, I think, is brilliant. Pity that that what's going to follow isn't so great, but there we go. But let's look, and let's just concentrate on the words and what this says for one last time. So here we have it. Thank you, guys. So when we come to looking at the life of St. Paul, as we have done uh, these past four weeks, this is week five, as I say, there is so much to look at. Do you agree? You know, with some Bible characters, you get their writings, or you get a little bit of narrative, or you get a combination of the two. When it comes to the life of St. Paul, we have 13 letters that he wrote under the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit to the churches that he set up and cared for, And of course, then we have all the narrative that we find in the book of Acts. So we have an absolute wealth of material about this man. And I don't know about you, whenever I look and I study and it comes to looking at his life or his letters or whatever particular aspect, you cannot help but thinking, man, did God do a mighty work in this man's life. And what encouragement there is for each and every one of us some best part of 2,000 years later because what he achieved and what he accomplished and that that he gave, I think there is an awful lot for us to draw upon. Now, we know that when Jonathan preached a couple of weeks ago about how he was dramatically saved on that Damascus road, that he was changed, what, a bit? No, he was changed completely. That encounter made such a change in his life that he, he, he was impelled after that to then to go on and to preach and to teach about this risen Lord Jesus, the one that had met with him so amazingly. And then we know, don't we, from what we saw on that map last week, if you were here, how he traveled so extensively over that period of time and over those many, many hundreds of miles, establishing new churches, bringing the gospel, showing people the way. And then thereafter, encouraging them so much from these letters that we, uh, that we have and that I've made reference to. Now, he lived at a time where, guess what? You know, that Facebook and, 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 and FaceTime and, and the like were a bit rusty. So what was it he could do when, at that time, the Holy Spirit told him, 
time's up, move on, you can't spend... Because remember, he didn't sort of say, hi guys, here for the weekend, off I go. He was there in some of these places for a very long period of time. And then the spirit would move him on. But he wouldn't just say, right, job done. He had a heart, just like a good father, for his children, as it were. And so what he did, he wrote letters. Or he took a message via his trusted assistants. And that's the way he communicated. And we know that. And that carrying on that responsibility of care was something that was deep within him because he knew that that had to be. So we not only know that he was a great author with the aid of others as well that helped him in those letters, but we know that he was a man of prayer. Why? Because we can understand that from the very nature and the very character of what we read in the Word. Not only that, we have scripture that tells us he was a man of prayer. And when he moved on, he would have still continued to pray earnestly for those churches, for those fledgling churches, for those new people that have given their lives to the Father and changed their lives around. He says in 1 Colossians 9, he says, we have not stopped praying for you. And you know that earnestly he would not have done. He says in Philemon 1.4, he says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. And so often was such that Paul's concern for the believers, for those churches, for those that he'd left behind, that we actually get prayers within his letters. You will know this. There are actually sort of sections within these letters you can say, that's a prayer. And that's exactly what it is, because his heart is coming out in a prayerful way at that point as he's writing for these churches. And that's what I want us to look at as we conclude this series this, this, this week, is about the prayers, the prayers that Paul prayed the prayers that Paul prayed. Now, I'm going to tell you, if we had a series on this alone, then it would take at least another five weeks, if not more, because there is so much that prayer, that the prayers that he brings and he brings out of those letters that we could preach on, that we could teach about. But we ain't got that. We've got this morning. So what I'm going to do is we're going to have a look at four key recurrent themes. What do I mean by recurrent themes? These are things that, pray, that, that Paul prayed for, not once in one letter to the Ephesians or the Colossians or whatever. These are things that find their way into nearly every letter. And so these are the things that are dear to his heart. These are the things that he's really motivated by. And these are the things that we can learn so much more from. So it's not an aspect this morning of his life. It's not about his Damascus Road. It's not about an aspect of his his ministry. It's about those prayers, okay? And so we're going to look at those four areas. Number one, Paul thanked God for the people. Paul was no stranger to thanksgiving and bringing thanks be to God, okay? Everywhere, whether it's in Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, Uh, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Timothy or Philemon, those are the ones I've spotted where he's bringing thanks to God for the people. He is excited about the fact that people have given their lives to Christ, okay? He is excited that these fledgling churches have begun and he has a heart for them and he gives glory to God for them. You know, he says in 1 Colossians 1, sorry, 1 Colossians 3, he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Philemon, again, 1, 4, I thank my God always 
when I remember you in my prayers. And in 2 Thessalonians 1.3, he says, we always ought to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, because it's right to do so. He is a man of thank. And you may have heard of the expression, but really Paul had developed this attitude of gratitude. He was a thankful man. By the time he's writing most of these letters, the ones that we turn to in our New Testament, he is uh, about 25 plus, a little bit over 25 years of Christian ministry standing. Okay? Now, we know most of those letters are written towards the end of his life, when he's in Rome, when he's in captivity, but not all. And at that time, even so, we know that he's just not lost any of his further. He's not lost any of his passion. He's not lost any of his joy at knowing that people have put their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation. He praises and thanks the Lord always for these redeemed hearts. And I guess it would have been really quite easy, quite worldly, obviously, for him to have just got into a way of ministry where he teaches and preaches and, yes, maybe takes for granted the fruit of those labors. Why? Because he was, we know, we've heard this already, he was a Pharisee at the age of 20. He was grounded. He knew things about all there was in the, in the law at 20 years of age. Then he was dramatically, so wonderfully, so fantastically transformed, wasn't he, on that encounter with the Lord, the risen Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road. And thereafter, he is filled with passion and becomes the apostle to the Gentiles, taking this word, this wonderful gospel message, across the length and the breadth of the known world there. How easy must it have been for him to say, well, yeah, that's what I do. That's what I give. You know, that's, that's, that's what I moved in. But he never, ever does that. He is always thanking the Lord from his heart for each and every soul. Um, he, he just exudes this. He'd been changed from that fierce persecutor of the church, that arrogant man that we read about in the early part of Acts, and he's now this man who is soft. He has an edge to him. Why wouldn't you not? He's endured and suffered some things, but he has a passionate heart for thanksgiving. I think what it was was the vast scope and the mercy and the goodness that was poured out over his life impacted him throughout his life. And he never, ever ceased to give thanks to the one that he knew that had changed his heart and that was impacting every heart of those that responded to the message that he brought. He also knew, didn't he, that it was always with thanksgiving that we come before prayer. He says, fantastically, I love the scripture in Philippians 4, 6, where he says it's in, it's in everything by prayer and petition with what? Thanksgiving, that we bring our request before God. We've got to be thankful. We've got to be putting God right up there. And what I would say is, what about us, guys? What about us? What are we like? Are we always full of thanksgiving to the Lord our God? Do we always give him, first and foremostly, the praise is due his name? Or are you so desiring to press in with your prayer requests before him to ask for things that he already knows? that you don't give over that time to bring those thanksgivings, those, that gratitude before him. Do we or do we not? What about all those blessed things that he surrounds us with, those people that he surrounds us with, brothers and sisters in the church and in Christ that he surrounds us with, that he gives us encouragement from? You know, Jesus, when his disciples asked him, yeah, how do we pray? How do we pray? First thing he says, what you do is you start off your time with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
That's where our emphasis should be, on the praise that is due his name. Other things come in pretty much down the line. But do we have that habit of praising him, lifting him, glorifying him for the big things, for the small things, in everything? You know, I've got to encourage you because I ain't talk about myself. When was the last time you got alongside someone and said, I just want to thank you for the encouragement that you bring me? I just want to thank you for the fact that you stand in the gap for me. I just want to thank you that you're always there, whatever that may be. What do we do? Do we do that? Or we just sort of think, well, yeah, it's just, I guess I'm blessed that way. We need to say thank you. We need to express it as Paul always expressed it. The world's way is that you take it for granted, you pretty much move on, and I'm afraid gratitude is not something that's so earnestly expressed so much. When you hear it, you think, ooh, that's unusual, isn't it? That's because you don't hear it very often, that's why. Now, I don't expect your boss every morning to give you a round of applause as you come through the front door and say, thank you so much for being here. It's a blessing to have you with me. But you know where I'm coming from. We need to take time out to thank the Lord because he's the author of life and the giver of all cool things. But we need to thank one another and to be and develop our own attitude of gratitude before the Lord, essentially, before one another. It needs to be expressed because it's not expressed so very often out there. King David declared in Psalm uh, 30 and verse 12, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. He was a man of gratitude as well. Second thing that Paul prays for and seeks is that he prayed that the people would attain wisdom and understanding. You read a Paul letter, how many times does he talk about wisdom and understanding? You get it time and time and time again. He says in Ephesians 1.17, I pray that the Lord our God, Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Okay? So this is another reoccurring theme of Paul's for wisdom and understanding. Now, I'm not talking about Paul here, I'm talking about King Solomon. But you will know that for all of King Solomon's wisdom, for all his prose, for all his eloquence, for all his great learning that we know he had, when it comes to wisdom and understanding, he says this. Listen, I've lost it. <laughs> Whatever it costs, get wisdom. Whatever it costs, get understanding. It's not too eloquent, is it? But you can understand his passion and his tone. Listen, if you don't get anything else, if you don't understand anything else, understand this. Get wisdom. Get understanding. You need it. And then in the, next, in the five chapters that in Proverbs, he goes on to, to devote five chapters to wisdom and talks about its, 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 its beauty, its benefits, it being supreme, the call of wisdom and how we listen to the call of wisdom, how we discern wisdom's calling in our lives. In Proverbs 16, 16, he says, how much better to get wisdom than gold? How much better to choose understanding than silver? This is his pursuit. And the great men of the Bible, the men and the women of the Bible, they knew this. They knew that it was wisdom and understanding that their strength was found in. It's not in their natural abilities. It's not in their natural skill sets. It's in the wisdom and the understanding that comes from the word of the Lord and discerning that word. Okay? And Paul knew the significance of that. Of course he did. 
I mean, what do you think held him up through the trials, the rejections, the heartbreak, the criticism, the, the beatings, the imprisonment, the shipwrecks, the stoning? It was the fact that he knew and he was fixed in what he was about and he knew the one who had put him there and he was rooted in this word of the Lord and that wisdom understanding was to flow to him. But we might say, well, that's great, Kevin, but how's wisdom and understanding obtained? I'd like some of that. Thank you very much. Can I have it before I go? Well, the answer is that he gives us the answer. Paul, in his letter to the Romans in 12.2, where he says, do not conform, and I think Jonathan brought this scripture in his preach to us last week, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, transformation, you will know, means it's a process, and it's a process of change. It means to alter. It means to be something different than you are. And when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you place your faith on that, on that day in the Lord, we are told, we understand that we are what is called sanctified. That means we are lifted out of our position from the world, and we are placed into heaven. We're placed into Christ. We are sanctified. We have been moved. The transition has been made. But you and I, if you have been in faith for some time, know that it's also and more a process because we don't become at that time of moving the full package. Sadly, we know that. It is a process that goes on in our lives. So what happens? Well, we get experiences. We get problems. We go through pretty rubbishy sort of things. But what does this? It is refining us. The whole process is to keep us fixated through it all on him. And increasingly, therefore, our lives are to be lived in the way of Jesus. And Paul tells us it's by the renewing of our minds. Well, again, our minds are full of the stuff out there. Our minds are with the culture of this world. Our, our, our minds are full of what the world wants to speak over us. So what we have to do in through this process is to get rid of that rubbish thinking and to increasingly align ourselves, not only in our thinking, but in our actions, in our words, in our thoughts, with the word of God. Amen? When we do that, we are putting ourselves in the way of wisdom and understanding. And we already heard it in that scripture. Who do we have to do this by ourselves? No, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit because God gives us that gift to enable us because he wants us to have this gift. It's not that, oh, when Jesus said, you know, put on the mind of Christ, what? How do I do that? Well, we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. We do it before submitting everything before him and prayerfully coming before him. I mean, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24, Therefore, if anyone hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, he's like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. You are on a firm foundation. And he says also, Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, where in Ephesians 1.17, he mentions that I have already mentioned that, that, that scripture. It's about the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the Holy Spirit that brings that about. And it's the Lord promises these things for those who seek him, those that want him. In James, uh, James 1.5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom and understanding, let him ask God who gives to all, etc." 
So you see, we're enlightened through wisdom, which God supplies as we seek him for that precious gift, and we place ourselves in the way of understanding when we set to set aside the pursuit of the worldly things. And as, as, as Rick Warren would say in some of the things that the life group have looked at, you, you learn to live, love, and uh, learn the word. You just become far more focused on the Lord, to become doers of the word. And I just want to say, before we move on to the next point, that this isn't an intellectual pursuit either. This isn't about us being intellectual to get wisdom and understanding that is spiritual. You don't need that as a prerequisite. It's a gift of God, and it is blessed to any of those who will seek after him, who earnestly seek it. There's, there's no condition, precondition for you or me to first be academic or intellectual because God wants to give these good things to you. I always think this is a humbling scripture, but in, uh, as in, in 1 Corinthians 1.27, where Paul reminds us that it's, it's the foolish, it's the weak of the world who God chooses to shame the wise and the powerful and the strong. So he wants to impart this wisdom to you that you may take your stand in the world and to fulfill that that he has called you to. Okay. Moving on to our next point, point three. Paul prayed for the people to be full of hope. Always he's praying for hope. Hope. He mentions faith a lot, but he prays much, much of the time for hope. In Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. He talks about hope. It was his desire that the churches would be filled and exuberant with hope and with praise and with the understanding of what their position in Christ now was. Well, what is hope? Do you know what hope is? Well, I think to begin with, to, to understand what hope is, we need to understand that there's a difference between faith and hope. They're very similar. Very, very, very similar, but they are actually different. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Okay, love's the greatest, but we also hear him say that there's faith and that there's hope. And so he's made a difference, okay? So we have to understand what the difference is. Well, to understand hope, we understand, first of all, what faith is. Faith is putting your trust in somebody or something wholeheartedly okay well that's no great revelation we knew that but the fact of the matter is that we need to realize that that if we have faith in Jesus Christ as our savior that is our faith position because of what he said because he went to the cross because he overcame you've made that that connection you are now of that opinion that what he said is true and therefore that is your faith standpoint. Now, hope is built on what on top of faith. If faith is the foundation, hope is what comes up above it, all right? Hope is a heartfelt expectation of what has not yet taken place will take place. And so you can see, ah, right, faith, I have to have that position of faith and yet I can now have hope on top of that. Jesus made promises. He made promises. He says, because I live, you will also live with me. John 14, 9. He says also, John 14, 2, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? 
And these promises, and many, many, many like them, are the reason for our hope. It gets us excited. So in its, really its most basic understanding, I mean, if, 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 if Abigail is told by Sarah one day that tomorrow they're going to go to the seaside, she gets excited. Why is she getting excited? Because mum has said this. And what mum says takes place. That's her faith position, okay? But the leaping up and down, and the getting excited, and what we're going to do, and how the day's going to be sent, and maybe we'll be on the beach, and maybe we'll go to the, to, the, to, the, to the amusements, and maybe we'll get an ice cream, that is her hope. That is the expression of what she hopes for. So can you see that that is the difference? That's the, the, the difference between it. Faith is what we stand on. Hope is what we get excited about. And Paul wanted the churches to get excited about their salvation. He wanted to get excited about what they were taken out of and now what they had been delivered into. He didn't want them thinking that hope was fickle, it was a bit here, it was about today we've got it and tomorrow, well, it's not been such a good week so I really haven't got it. No, you stand firm. You stand absolutely firm with hope in your heart. It is unchanging. And also, I want to tell you that in the English language, we're sometimes put off by this. Because if you hear somebody say, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, what does that express to you? It always expresses to me that, I hope it doesn't rain, but I guess it probably will. That is the English language. That is how it often comes across. But that is not biblical hope. A biblical hope is, the Lord has said it, and therefore it's going to be. And so we can get excited about it and we can be sure about it. And Paul wanted the churches to be sure about it. He wanted us, the readers, so many years down the line to be excited by this because it's about something that flourishes in our heart. And I'll tell you what hope is. Hope is like joy. You, you, joy, joy goes deep. You don't say someone's happy. No, joyful goes deep. Joy is there when everything else comes off the rails, okay? Because it's deep. And hope goes deep. It's not, it's, not, it's not anything else. When things are all clamoring around you, if you have hope in your heart, it still has to be expressed. Why? Because it's rooted in there. It's not here. It's not fickle. It's not passing. It's a firm foundation. It goes deep. Okay, point four, moving on. Paul prayed that the people would be filled with spiritual power. How many of our songs, how many of our worship songs speak about your power, O Lord, your strength, O Lord? And this is an unchanging theme. He says in Ephesians 3.16, he says, um, he prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Let me tell you this. Spiritual power only comes through the Holy Spirit. It cannot be attained any other way. No matter at all, it only through the Spirit. He says, and I think we've got the scripture for you, in 2 Corinthians 12, 11, uh, 9 to 11, we have, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. That's a crazy statement. That is a crazy statement by anybody's understanding. Why? Because who can, who can ever boast of weaknesses and say, I want these things, I love these things, because when these things happen, I'm strong. The world tells you to hide your weaknesses. The world tells you don't even recognize them, push them behind. Certainly don't exhibit them. Don't boast about them. But Paul knows where his power lies. He knows where his strength lies. He knows where that root is. And it's not in his skill. It isn't in his ability. It isn't in his intellect. It isn't in the fact that he was a Pharisee by the time he was 20. He is by the fact that the Holy Spirit has impacted him and he is focused on more and more of that strength. So that when he endures shipwrecks, hardships, beatings and everything else, he doesn't say, enough, I'm out of here. That he has that, that sturdy spirit that says, no, when I am weak, he kicks in and gives me a power far beyond what I could ever achieve accomplishing my own strength. And that's available. He, yet the Holy Spirit is with us. Do we, oh, I can't do that. I don't know. That's our standpoint so often. But the Holy Spirit says, no, you mighty man or woman of God. When your hope is set on him, there is a difference. There is an ability. There is an overcoming that can be made. Now, as I was looking into this and I was reading the scriptures, I was amazed at this because, do you know, I don't think I'd ever really understood this. You'll go, you're crazy. Everyone understands this. But I didn't until I read it. And did you know that, that what you do, that during Jesus' ministry here on earth, both in his life before his ministry, during his ministry, the power that he was able to display through the mighty miracles that he did was all through what? Power of the Spirit. We know that when he was baptized, power of the Spirit came upon him. It alighted on him, and it was the Holy Spirit. But, and this is the surprise thing, after he's raised from the dead, after that time, he's now meeting with his disciples. He's resurrected. He's triumphant over the grave. He is there alive before them. It says in Acts 1-2, he says, even after his resurrection, until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Well, what's the revelation there? It was still the Holy Spirit that was giving him the power. He is come, overcome sin and death. It is still working in the power of the Holy Spirit. So if Jesus is our example in all things, as truly he is, how much more then do we need the Holy Spirit if Jesus is working in the Holy Spirit post the cross? Okay? You and I need it. The Holy Spirit is needed by these young churches that Paul wrote to. And he knew that. He says, look, if they grasp this, if they understand this, they will be powerful men and women in Christ. If this goes over their heads, then they are going to get blown away at the first problem. And there were problems, all sorts of problems, that he addresses a lot of them in his letters. We know that. But he knows the power of the Holy Spirit. And as I say, that same Spirit is alive in us. Jesus says himself in John 7, 38, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. That's speaking of the power of the Holy Spirit in you or me. The Holy Spirit is our counselor, he is our guide, he is our strength, he is our, he is our focus, 
He is what they call in Greek the parakletos, which means he comes close, and he comes close, and guess what? He doesn't move away. He is here until the Lord Jesus comes again. Regardless of what some teaching of this world will tell you, the Holy Spirit is still alive and about his work in individual lives and about the kingdom's advance. Amen? He is here. And Paul knew that without the power, without the strength, without that focus on him and him alone, then they would be blown away, the churches. Why? Because as soon as he's moved out of town, who moves in? The religious teachers. Forget that stuff of nonsense. Come on back to the ways of the law. Come on back to the ways of that you know in your hearts that you should be following. And again, we know this because it's in the scriptures that this happened. How are these churches going to stand? On the strength of the spirit, on the strength of the truth, in that hope that they have in their hearts that would maintain that position. And as I say, nothing has changed for us today. It's the same. We need him. If you are trying to press on in your Christian ministry, whether you are a Christian for five years, 15 years, 35 years, in your own strength, you will fail. Finish. You will. But if everything is based in him, for his glory, if everything is yielded before him, everything that you do, every word, every thought, and every action then you will be blessed with his power and that you will seek him and you will find him whilst he can be found. Now, here's another conundrum uh, and it's a good one to, to look at when you're speaking about the, the scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit. We are told that the Holy Spirit comes and abides in us again when we give our life to Christ. Amen? He does. It's a part of the package. It's part of this wonderful salvation. The Holy Spirit comes to abide in you at that time. All right. Right? We understand him. Jesus says in John 14, 17, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him, doesn't know him, yet you know him, for he dwells within you. There you are. There you have that promise. There you have that acclamation of that truth. So therefore, okay, well, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Surely when I've given my life to Christ, I am filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, you are. But there is a big difference between being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that is what we need brothers and sisters to understand. Okay, now, um, I love this. I love it, I love it, I love it. Um, it's in the Alpha Course. We've heard about the Alpha Course, the upcoming Alpha Course. And during the Alpha Course, there is the Holy Spirit Weekend, or as we have it, the Holy Spirit Day. And guess what? We spend, you know, three, 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 um, three sort of, as it now is, uh, presentations about the Holy Spirit. And this comes up, and I love it, because I think it demonstrates this so clearly in my mind, and I hope it does yours too. If you've been on an Alpha Course, you'll know it. And if you've taught in an Alpha Course, you'll certainly know it. Uh, but, but Nicky Gumbel refers to the Holy Spirit like a light that goes on in a gas boiler. So, you come into Christ, the light goes on in a gas boiler. Okay, that little flickery light that we all see flickering away there. All right, let's call that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Does it go off? No, it stays there. It's there. It's indwelling. It's there. That is a position if you are in Christ and you are indwelt by the Spirit. It's there. What happens when the gas blows over the pilot light? Someone, what happens? 
it fires up, doesn't it? And suddenly, you haven't got a little flickery pilot light. You've got a raging inferno in there. Why? Because it's powered and it's now fueled. Now, that is the difference between somebody indwelt by the Spirit and somebody empowered by the Spirit. And God wants us to be the latter, not the former. Yeah, there are lots of people out there. Bless their hearts that are indwelt by the Spirit. Are they empowered by the... Mm, not so sure. But God wants us to be those that are indwelt by his power, to be completely consumed by him, to give everything up before him, and to put everything in front of him. So what? We can seek direction, we can seek understanding, that we get an attuned ear to that still, small voice. You know, we were being quiet this morning. But I tell you what, if you're like me, I'm not quiet. My head's going, there's all sorts of things going on in there. Just because I'm not talking, still things, thoughts, matter. Oh, this afternoon, yeah, tomorrow, what? We know that. So we have to train ourselves, train ourselves to be in the way of the Spirit, to discern and to listen. So I really want to encourage you in that. Paul wanted to encourage the churches in that, and it's no different again for us. But listen, we must remember this. It's important to remember this. The spirit can be grieved. So if we're living apart, we're living, we're doing things, we know we ought not to be doing, ah, well, you know, it's just a season in life I'm going through. It's not so great. Uh, church, no, I haven't been to church. Um, Bible, mm, not for a while. Then we know that he is grieved. Does he leave you? No, he doesn't leave you, but there is a distancing. And that power is not going to be felt or it's certainly not going to be lived in. Okay, so we have that inscription. If you don't believe me, read Ephesians 4, verse 30. Also, his work within us, as we grieve him, will be necessarily reduced. We won't be so effective. Don't believe me, read 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. At these times, we must, must understand, Lord, I don't want to be over here. I don't want to be outside. I want to be in the power. I want to be in the way of the Lord. I want to be receiving that strength from you. I want to be living my life, seeing the opportunity, not thinking, oh, it's a Monday, here we go again. He does want us in that place. Okay, so we need to be obedient, we need to be seeking, we want to be those that are empowered. Paul wanted empowered Christians in the churches. He wanted them strengthened. He wanted them to know the good things that are available to them, that it's not all just in the here and now. There is this sanctification. There is this process to which to go through. Okay, in conclusion, let me just say this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a message of divine achievement. They call it a message of divine achievement. What does that mean? Well, it means simply this. It's faith alone. It's not on what you do. It's not on what I do. It's about faith alone in what Jesus Christ, our Savior, has done for us and receiving gratefully with thanksgiving for what he has done in our hearts. Okay? It doesn't matter who you are. If you're relying on works, your name could be Mother Teresa, your name can be Kevin Aldridge. It doesn't matter because it's not going to do anything. It's all about what Jesus has done. We know that. Is that good news? Yeah, it's great news. It's called the gospel. And it's proclaimed across the world. But... People have to come in line to the fact of knowing that, yeah, I've heard it. I know I've got to do something about it. I've got to do something about it. I know I am guilty of all these things. World, I know I need a saviour. I know I can't do it by myself. I can't get right with God. How can I get right with God? 
So you have to come to that position. And that's what is known as repentance. And people need to be moved into that position, really, before you can receive the full blessings of the Lord. Now, we can say, did Paul come into that position when he was walking on that road to Damascus or on his horse? Was he in repentance at that point? No, not at all. He was absolutely spitting blood and wanting to pull people back and stick them in prison, or worse. But Jesus met with him, and he did an amazing, amazing thing within him. An amazing thing. So much so has he been changed from his old former ways of life that we get him writing to Timothy in, in 1.15 saying, Christ came into this world to save sinners. I'm the worst. This is a man who has done more than you and I are ever likely to do. But he was still saying, no, I'm the worst. I, I, I was a stinking, wretched man. And then he says in uh, Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9, I consider everything before to be as garbage, that I may obtain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which he had before that, but that that, com that, that comes through the law, or in other words, good works. But he says, but that that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes through God in faith. That is what I want. That is what I live in. That is what I give my life to. That is what empowers me. That is what's causing me to write this letter. That that what's hope is fixed on glory and where I am going. And doesn't man what, what matter what man does to me because my God is triumphant. Wow. He has met and has received spiritual knowledge, understanding, thankful heart, hopeful heart, full of wisdom and power. That was his life. And that's what he imparts to these churches through these letters in what I brought this morning. That's what he's saying. Don't leave home without it. You, you need these things. You need thanksgiving. You need hope. You need to be full of wisdom and understanding through the, the word that he wished to give to you, wants to give to you, and that spiritual power which impacts your life in those that he has put you around. I can't speak about the gospel. I find it hard. Yeah, join the club. Who does that? The power of the Holy Spirit who puts that thirst and that puts that yield within you. Next weekend, no, I can't do anything. I love Bromley, I can't talk to people. Oh, maybe I'll help carry a few things up there. No, 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 no. no. The Holy Spirit, when you do him, he'll give you the words. There's someone sitting in here that I won't bring attention to who, who was impacted by the love of what we did in Easter that says, I want to be a part of a church like that. You know, this is it. And we do that through well, our own strength because I'm a nice person because I can smile until, oh, do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Talk about the Lord is in the power of your spirit. And this is what Paul was all about. I love this. I was trying to get this in somewhere. I've read it somewhere. I don't even know who I can give the credit to, but I love this little statement I'm going to really end with here. And it impacts me, and I hope it impacts you. It's that the kingdom of darkness is not afraid of Jesus within you. What? <laughs> the kingdom of darkness is not afraid of Jesus within you. The kingdom of darkness is afraid of Jesus what? Coming out of you. Amen? It's what comes out of you. It's when you are living these things. It's when you are impacted with these things. It's when your focus is on the Spirit then you're living the life like a little Christ. Amen? That's when this kingdom of darkness goes, hey, 
nothing very much. And that is what Paul was all about, seeing his kingdom be glorified and his kingdom come. Look, I hope you've been blessed by this time that we've been looking at Paul. It has been great. I've loved every week. I wish we could spend more time in it. I'm sure he won't have gone for very long. I'm sure he will be back mentioned again. But do delve into these letters. Do remind yourself again in Acts what this man accomplished. But don't just read it as a great man, a story. Read it about the excellence of his life given unto the Lord and what the Lord did in it. We're the same, brothers and sisters. So let's do it. Let's just finish in prayer. I know the band are going to lead us. Father, we want to thank you that, Lord, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We want to thank you that your salvation is available to us today as it was in the day of the Lord Jesus. We want to thank you that just as Paul set up those churches and impacted them with his life and in the letters that he wrote and that enduring strength that he wanted to impart to them, that that same spirit, that that same strength is not only available to us today, but, Lord God, you are wanting to, Father, change us, to sanctify us and to purify us. Lord, we look at the weak things in our lives, but Lord, you look at the potential. And in each and every one of us, there is huge potential in Christ. I pray, Lord, that as what we've discussed, Father, both this morning and over these weeks, will impact our lives, each and every one of us, so that we may become better servants of the Lord our King and to give and to yield our lives all the more because of what you have accomplished for us. Father, it is a finished work. And yet for us, Lord, we still need to keep that focus sharpened on the Saviour of the world. And we bless you for another day in which to do that today, another opportunity this week in which to come close to you and to call upon the name, the giver of good gifts. We bless you and we thank you. Amen. Amen.